Hi, welcome to Lights, Camera, Author. I'm Jim Juno, and I'm the host of this podcast where we talk with people who write books about Hollywood, uh, movies, TV, entertainment, and really anything that catches our fancy. And I have with me today Ayunta Huang, who has a new book. He it's came it's coming out on August twenty second. It's called Daughter of the Dragon: Anime Wong's Rendezvous with American History. Welcome. Is it Doctor Huang? Oh, it's okay. Well, thank you, Jay, for having me. Well, if you call me Doctor Huang, that means my father. But ah, growing okay. up there, <laughs> just call me Yunta. Yeah. Yunta. Okay. Well, I tell you what, I appreciate you being here. And this book, it's coming like it's coming out on August twenty second, and it deals with the life story of an actress who really had everything against her. Uh, from the get go, I mean, she was she was a very gifted actress. Uh, right. Anna Mae Wong had quite a career, but she faced she faced several obstacles in her career, didn't she? Oh, absolutely. Well, I should begin by saying, you know, yes. Uh, I mean, her biography, her resume, yes, is a record of uh, of struggling against all these obstacles, obstacles, as you say, Jim. Uh, but I always should, um, if we go back. She started out as a lucky girl in many ways, right? You know, her rise uh, as the the daughter of, uh, of a Chinese laundryman, certainly, uh, to global stardom. It's a spectacular story. So in that sense, she was lucky, you can say. Uh, like many of the stars who came from very humble background, origin. And in her case, uh, like I said, she was Chinese, born uh, in Los Angeles, uh, literally in her father's laundry. But somehow she managed to to make it in Hollywood. Uh, so in that sense, she was lucky, but not you know a later part of her career. Even then, you know, despite her talent, her absolutely you know um, her, her beauty and her tenacity and everything, uh, the cards really were stacked stacked against her uh, in in you know in various ways, as I describe in the book. Yes, she. Uh, I mean, she faced, of course, you know, being a Chinese American. Uh, if anybody thinks that Asian Americans have it rough now, they should look at the history of the United States back in the, in the early part of the 20th century because it is course, it was yeah. it was really bad for Asian uh -huh. Americans. Uh, yes, I mean, so let's take say uh, the the context much closer to Anime Wong. Uh, she was born in Los Angeles in 1905. And only three decades earlier, right, in 1871, there was the so-called Chinese Massacre. And uh, uh, white mobs basically raided in, you know, Chinatown, burned it to the ground, and uh, tortured and killed and lynched, uh, shot uh, 18 Chinese. So it wasn't, it wasn't that long ago that, you know, before Anime One was born. So it was very hostile towards Chinese. And... Um, so her father's laundry provided, I should say, so there's a lot of ironies in all this, of course. I mean, we, we all, you know, seem to know or, or think we know uh, history, but history often, you know, is full of irony, right? Like you said, uh, it's easy for people to think, oh, yeah, those are horrible times, but how horrible is it and how people manage to survive? So. So just to give you one example, one irony is that because of the Chinese massacre, um, the Chinese community actually held together. I mean, came together, became even stronger. So in that sense, uh, 
anyone being born uh, into Chinatown, uh, which was a haven for her. But her father was a laundryman. And I don't know if you're aware of this. Uh, uh, I don't know where you, uh, you know, where I grew up, for instance, Jane. And uh, some years, a few years ago, uh, when I published, uh, you know, did the Charlie Chan book, and I gave a lot of, you know, talks uh, all over the country. And you know, everywhere I went, I spent a lot of time actually um, in Midwest. And every town, you know, city I visited, people often come to me and say, you know, yeah, where I grew up, there was only one Chinese family. And turn out, mm-hmm. of course, there was the laundry, the Chinese laundry, <laughs> or uh, fast food, chop suey joint and everything. So anyone to me was uh, is interesting in the sense that she represented really, you know, two staples of uh we can say stereotypical Chinese experience in America. One is laundry and the other is food. Um, later on in her career, for instance, she actually turned to, you know, uh, uh, promoting Chinese food in America. And But to go back to, to my earlier, you know, um, uh, topic in terms of hostility toward Chinese and the Chinese community held together. But the laundry, however, was laundrymen were the, I would, I would like to call them pioneers who ventured beyond the safe haven of Chinatown. Because you can't do, you know, all the laundry business. It's just too competitive inside Chinatown. And so Animal's father, uh, Sam Sing Wang, uh, moved the family and the laundry business uh, outside of Chinatown in LA. That sort of gave um, uh, Animal Wang, I think, much needed exposure to the outside world. And that may have something to do, actually, with her later success. Uh, yeah, I imagine so. I mean, because you know, it, it built up a strength in her. Now she got into she got into films at an early age too. I mean, she was uh, I want to say sixteen when she started in films. Uh, yeah, actually, well, uh, she started out uh, first as an extra, uh, mm-hmm. you know, lantern carrying extra, um, nineteen nineteen, and she was actually only fourteen, and. Oh, okay. uh, so she was one of the three lantern carriers, and uh, she was very excited, of course, I mean, <laughs> to be in film those years. And uh, and the irony, once again, is that um, this is what the period when uh, any American girl with any sparkly imagination will try to become a film star in many ways, especially for uh, for families that didn't have a lot of you know means. And so these are called the movie struck girls, right? You know, coming from Anywhere in Midwest, you know, you buy one one way train ticket, uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan, or you know, Cottage <laughs> Grove, uh, Wisconsin. You buy one way train ticket and come to Hollywood, get off Central Station, later on Union Station, and try to make it. But for Anime Wang, Anime Wang, however, she didn't hop, you know, didn't need to hop a train. Hollywood actually came to her in a sense of in those years, Chinatown as a very kind of exotic setting, um, it was a convenient, uh, uh, you know, uh, scene uh, for Hollywood filmmakers. So they they come to uh, Chinatown a lot to shoot the street scenes, use the exoticism as the background. So anyone had, um, will often play hooky and uh, look around, you know, rubbernecking and watching and fantasizing about being those scenes. So, so eventually she got lucky and became an extra. In this, like I said, in 1919, the Red Lantern, a silent film, as a lantern carrier. And the, when the movie came out, she got really excited, of course. Uh, 
she would, you know, uh, she'd skip lunch for a week to save the money. <laughs> so she could uh, have, you know, three of, of her friends uh, took them out to uh, the California theater, bought, you know, nice tickets uh, at the upper gallery, all ready for the, for the debut. But of course, <laughs> she couldn't find herself in the scene. And her friends said, which one is you? And she said, I don't know, maybe the outside one. You know? <laughs> so it was a kind of interesting uh, debut. Um, is that movie survived? Yes, uh, The Red Lantern. You can see it. I, it's on YouTube. Oh, okay. uh, you know, it's in public domain. And uh, you, you can try to find Anime One. If you find her, please let me know. Sure. <laughs> I, I can put out a reward. If you can positively <laughs> identify this is Anime One, you will actually uh, do a, you know, um, a great service to film industry. So That history. would be wild if, if I could. <laughs> yeah, right. But um, she, but she didn't. Anyway, she didn't stay an extra for long because in a few years she was, I think, what uh, the toll of the sea, I believe. Yeah, the right? toll of the sea in nineteen twenty-two. Mm-hmm. So she was seventeen. Um, um, so because of that, you know, uh, the uncredited role as a lantern carrier, you know, as an extra, um, she became friends with the star of that film, uh, Ella Nazimova. Ella Nazimova is, oh, um, is a Ukrainian. Jewish woman who had a career in Russia earlier and uh, and then came to Broadway, right? Uh, made it pretty big in Broadway. And then eventually her fellow Ukrainian uh, uh, jeweler actually offered her like, I was, I believe like $50,000 to come to Hollywood and play in a film. And wow. uh, she came to Hollywood and became big. And Ella Nazimova, you know, she made so much money uh, in those early years, uh, she bought a, a big Spanish mansion at uh, mm-hmm. 8080 Sansa Boulevard. Today, I think it's a mall or something. Um, anyway, the Garden of Allah, uh, wasn't it? What's that? Wasn't it called the Garden of Allah? Yes, the Garden of Allah. Yes, the spelling without the H. It's because it's Allah and mm-hmm. often misspelled you know, because <laughs> of the, <laughs> the, the, the other Allah, I think. Um, and the most interesting thing is that, you know, it's a fabulous, uh, you know, palace, one of the f- earliest kind of Hollywood mansions, basically, and a trophy house. Mm-hmm. And she will build uh, the swimming pool in the shape of the Black Sea, her hometown, you know, Crimea. And uh, so, and she will often have, um, you know, flashy parties. And, um, but she also was the person who coined the term called the sewing circle. It's yes. a kind of discreet code for uh, lesbian and bisexual, you know, actors. Yes. So she will have a lot of stories. And anyone was kind of inducted, introduced into that circle uh, right after uh, the Red Lantern. And she, uh, you know, was uh, well, rubbing shoulders, as she had elbows with uh, all these big stars. And that really gave her, you know, a, a foot in the door, uh, opening up, you know, uh, more opportunities. And that's how she became... Uh, came to uh, play the lead role in uh, the 1922 film, um, The Toll of the Sea. Yeah. It's a, it's a, like a Madame Butterfly story. It's a remake of that. And she worked with some of the biggest names. I mean, the one that comes to mind is Douglas Fairbanks. In Absolutely. See for Baghdad. See for Baghdad. And bec- it's exactly because of um, her, you know, association with Allah, uh, Nazimova, but especially her performance uh, in The Toll of the Sea. And about a year later, uh, Fair, you know, Douglas uh, Fairbanks made her an offer 
to to play this Mongol maid uh, uh, in a theater back there, in which she actually had to wear pretty kind of you know uh, scanty clothes and. Mm. Uh, Fairbanks actually had to get a letter of permission you know, <laughs> uh, uh, from her parents because she was still a teenager, and uh, you know, especially for Chinese uh, women to to show in you know in, in public uh, wearing so little clothes, uh, her parents got really concerned. I can imagine. I mean, and all I mean, that's unusual for Hollywood in those days because usually. I mean, and this was the days of casting couches. This was a day, like you said, of sewing circles. Um, Absolutely. You know, I mean, a lot of a lot of times they just threw caution to the wind. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, absolutely. Even go just go back to you know uh, the eighty eighty club uh, that's you know Garden of Allah. Um, that's exactly where like Nadi Mola introduced uh, to her her. Um, you know, young lovers, girl, both girls, uh, introduced them, and eventually they were married. Uh, Rudy uh, Valentino, uh, you know, Rudolph uh -huh. Valentino. It was yeah. actually the same setting. So that's the kind of circle in which uh, Anime Wang, young, very young Anime Wang, uh, was circulating, and uh, she did, you know, fall victim to some of the, you know, some of the situations certainly. But eventually, she managed to um, became a star, but. Um, but once again, uh, because of the the kind of racism against Chinese, and it, it oftentimes many of the at the time called the China flicks or yellow flicks, mm -hmm. meaning films about you know the Orient, uh, uh, you know a casual term, and they are mostly most of them are all yellow faced uh, performance, right? You can talk about Long Cheney and all the Long Cheney known as the the man of a thousand faces, partly because. He could play so many um, Chinese Asian roles, and he is a an expert of makeup. So in some of the films, he, he will play a double. Or they often do like double, you know, role, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in the Red Lantern, uh, Alaman Nazimova played half Chinese and uh, and and a half Caucasian girl, and then in in other scenes, she will play uh, the the Caucasian, you know, uh, half sister uh, of the the first character. So they all kind of, you know, Long Cheney did the same thing. So Animal really got a taste of this kind of, of uh, the kind of racial casting uh, in Hollywood. And eventually she got that up, right? You're right. I mean, well, it cost her some, it cost her roles in movies, which was amazing that they would rather hire a white or a Caucasian female right. instead mm -hmm. of a true Asian American, a Chinese American. Uh, such as anime, um, I believe. What, what, what was the the Good Earth? Was it well, the Good Earth is the biggest. Uh, you know, uh, really broke her heart because yeah. after all these years. So if we can just really, like you know retrace her um, her you know footsteps uh, a, a little bit. So with the, with her rising in Hollywood, and uh, the irony at the time was that um, you know uh, she was. Consider two Chinese to play a Chinese role, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> judging by the American taste, like or oh, the Hollywood executive producers. Ah, she looks too Chinese. You she's know, does not fit the, the, the imagination of ordinary American viewers. You know, she can't. You know, Chinese don't look like that. <laughs> so anyway, uh, and that she was, wasn't even allowed to kiss her co-star, was she? Well, I mean, sure. I mean, that really, uh, I I'll call that like a virtual form of foot binding. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's basically. Um, but but interestingly, 
uh, she and once again to show how tenacious she was, um, uh, because of Hollywood, uh, you know, this kind of policy and a practice, um, and the, the irony that um, because she was really the biggest Chinese star, no one could compete with her and and everything. On the other hand, she can't really play any lead role in China flicks, and, and that kind of you know that that irony. Um, she was fed up with it, so eventually she went to Europe. And so in 1928, uh, she went to Germany and she was offered like a five film, uh, you know, contract um, by a German direct German director and her career really took off. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, uh, Europe didn't have any problem with racism. <laughs> Far from it. <laughs> she actually went to Germany right before the rise of uh, the Nazis. Right. Yeah. So she she went walking to the, you know, the last party, we should say, uh, I mean, many historians will describe that period of Germany, Weimar, you know, Republic, as literally like a party, you know, dancing party on the edge of a volcano. And that was exactly right before the rise of uh, the Nazis. But there was a kind of that for a period about, you know, 12 or 13 years, there was really kind of sudden explosion of creativity and the novels, the films, uh, the theater, uh, you name it. So Anime One walked into that scene and she became a star and she was hanging out with people like Marlena Dietrich mm -hmm. and uh, Walter Benjamin and of course also Lenny Rufenstahl. And she, you know, uh, there was a very famous picture taken of the three women, right, at this Berlin ball in the fall of 1928. And in that picture, if you know all the facts, that uh, actually Marlena Dietrich had not starred in the Blue Angel yet. And, uh, you know, uh, Lenny uh, Rufenstahl had not become Hitler's camera woman yet. And so Henry Wang was actually a much bigger star than the other two in that picture. Uh, so imagine the rise and fall of uh, a women's career, you know, and because of who you are and uh, where you came from. Right? Did she have a relationship with Marlena Dietrich? Because that's you know well, that was that always know. the rumor, mm -hmm. uh, you know. Um, but um, I mean, if, honestly, I think. Well, let me put it this way: so, um, Marlena Dietrich's daughter uh, Maria, um, you know, uh, he she wrote a, a very detailed bio, uh, you know, biography of her mother. And uh, one thing I should say, writing about Anime One, the difficulty or the my, my biggest lament is that um, unlike many Hollywood stars, she never had a, like a great romance, you know? yeah. <laughs> like open romance that we can write about. And uh, I, I'm no paparazzi, uh, but, but in terms of writing you know, uh, about somebody, a life story, right? Especially for somebody as beautiful as she is, uh, that's like my biggest lament. So what I could do, however, is to collate, you know, compare uh, notes with other biographers, uh, you know, biographies about other stars such as Marina Dietrich, such as, you know, Lenny Rufenstahl and, and, and all that, and, and try to come up with a more kind of composite picture. And uh, anyone really, uh, she was not a very kind of, she was an introvert in many ways. Mm -hmm. And, um, and she's not somebody who will parade her own kind of, you know, notoriety and try to benefit from it. And maybe that's because she's Chinese and, you know, growing up in a in a pretty conservative Chinese family. 
And so, uh, and but also, uh, we should also talk about you know her personal life in a sense, the tragedy of her personal life. Once again, it's because of racism. Not just that she cannot kiss a white man or be kissed by a white man on screen. Uh, there were still miscegenation, uh, anti-miscegenation laws. Uh, you know, um, in most of states, uh, you cannot. A Chinese person cannot marry a Caucasian, right? Exactly. And yeah. uh, so, uh, she, uh, for just give you an example, for instance, uh, since we are talking about Hollywood, uh, James, you know, uh, Wang Hao, um, anime Wang's uh, close friend, James mm-hmm. Wang Hao, you know, won Oscar twice uh, for cinematography. She's he, he was a great photographer, and because very early on. Um, he figured out how to shoot great publicity for publicity photos for mostly like white actresses, able to bring out the the charm of their eyes because the early films and because of black and white, if your eyes are blue, actually it won't look very good in black and white photos. But for some reason, <laughs> but uh, James Wan Hao figured out how to create shade. And so he was highly sought after kind of cameraman, photographer for publicity photos, but he was also very skilled in shooting films. And like I said, he won two Oscars, but let's look at his personal life. And that's, you know, really compare, I think quite well with Anime Wang's tragedy, um, is that James Wang Hao actually married a, a Caucasian woman uh, um, in France because the, it, the, the union was not recognized in the United States. And so the couple, I mean, poor souls, had to hide their marriage for decades, mm. right? So that was actually a cautionary tale for Anime Wang. And uh, so as uh, she got older and older, and, uh, you know, it became just more and more hopeless in many ways, because um, despite the fact, you know, for instance, uh, a lot of working class Chinese men will marry marry Irish women. And... Despite the fact it's illegal, Irish women will actually risk losing their U.S. citizenship. Wow. Um, but because they're working class, I mean, the authority will never go after them because they're nobody. But anyone was living in the limelight. If that something like that happened, where you can easily imagine it become a scandal and all that. And that's why, you know, James Wang Hao, this famous photographer, uh, will hide, you know, his marriage for years. Wow. You know, and... Then, then now, as she is making a name for herself over in Europe, she does return to the United States. But just right. at that time, because, of course, the Nazis are starting to come into power, and it's, mm-hmm. you know, time's ahead out because, exactly. uh, you know, so. But then Pearl Harbor happens, and even though it is Japanese as opposed to Chinese, mm-hmm. I imagine that 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 created more hurdles for her, even though. Well, uh, not necessarily. Okay, let me let me describe it this way. Sure. So, when Pearl Harbor happened, and well, actually, way before then, because she was Chinese, and as you know, as you describe in the book, she because after you know, uh, she got her heart broken because she couldn't get the lead role in The Good Earth, good the Earth, biggest yeah. China film for those years. Everybody was talking about it. It's like the Barbie film. Everybody was you know, <laughs> waiting for it, waiting for it, and then see who is going to you know, will lead the role, uh, play the lead role. And she didn't get it. Her heart was broken. So she went to China to visit her 
ancestry, you know, um, um, ancestral land. And she spent nine months there. And after she came back, there was the outbreak of uh, Sino-Japanese War. Japan invaded China. Yeah. So in those years, um, she became, I should say, uh, as a Chinese, it's understandable that she will, you know, turn against Japanese uh, and uh, will try to support, basically rally support for China. And uh, so, and then Pearl Harbor happened. And she was really, I would say, all those years, she was really the face of China, you know, uh, rising, raising funds. She would donate her clothes and jewelry uh, to raise money. And she will oftentimes will go to like county fairs and, and offer to say, write your name in Chinese for 10 cents, you know. <laughs> <gonna take. laughs> Once again, she will dress up in Chinese, you know, Qi uh, Pao uh, or Chosang. And stand uh, at a, at a stand and say you know write your name in Chinese for ten cents and wow. raising money slowly. Uh, but even then, um, that when Martin Chiang Kai Shek came uh, to Hollywood to to mm-hmm. to America, and to again to to rally for China, um, and everyone got snubbed again because uh, Madame Chiang Kai Shek you know did not want to have uh, to want to compete share the stage with another beautiful Chinese woman. And of course, it's also snobbism and not snobbery, you know, a snob as well, because uh, anyone came from working class and, uh, and Madeleine Zhang Rashia, of course, uh, is blue-blooded aristocrat. And then after World War II, she, she actually made history with her own TV show. She was, mm-hmm. the, first, she was the first Asian-American to, to actually star in a, te- oh, in a U.S. Uh, yes. television show. She had her own, her own series, you know, Madame... Uh, Huang Liuzong's uh, gallery, and mm-hmm. she played a detective, right? Unfortunately, those films were, you know, wheels were destroyed when that, uh. Uh, that you know, the the company went belly up, and they, for whatever reason, they threw the films into East River. And that was like, uh. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, but she did later on, I mean, did show up, you know, uh, played a few roles in, in uh, we will say, you know, television films as well. And she was actually... One of uh, some of her last kind of TV appearances was, for instance, was in uh, Barbara Stanwyck. Uh, you know, uh, she also showcased a series of kind of detective, detective sort of kind of noirish, uh, you know, short uh, programs. And Anime One was uh, in quite a few of them. I imagine. I mean, it's, so she never really stopped working until uh, she died at a very young age, only fifty-six. Yeah, only 56. And uh, I mean, the touch anecdote or, you know, or sad anecdote is that uh, she was ready uh, as we, as, you know, uh, Norma, who was it? Norma Desmond in the oh, Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. Yes. You're like uh-huh. a Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my, for my close up. Yes. And she was all ready for her own close up, uh, anime one I'm talking about. So she was, um, after all these kind of small roles in this, uh, uh, TV shows and, and the series and all that. She eventually uh, was offered a, a very big role in Flower Drum Song. Okay, right. Flower Drum Song is really a big, you know, China, uh, I should say, based on a Hollywood, you know, a Broadway show and turning into a film. And she was about to play this, uh, you know, An, uh, An Liang, I think, uh, you know. Eventually, uh, the role was given to Juanita Hall, uh, an African-American Actress, 
and everyone was all getting ready. And so she died when she died of a heart attack uh, in Santa Monica. And uh, the the film script was lying by her side. She was oh. still trying to work hard, getting ready for the for the big comeback. And um, yeah, and just just got cheated out of it, you know. Yeah. So, um, well, the gentleman's name is Yonto Huang, and the book is Daughter of the Dragon Anime Wong's Rendezvous with American History. Yonto, thanks for being on Lights Camera Author today. Well, thank you for having me, Jim.